0: If you have Bibles, uh, we're in John chapter fifteen today. Uh, If you're using one of those black hardcover Bibles, it's under your seat or around there. Um, That's page nine hundred and one is where we're going to be. Then go ahead and make your way there. A couple years ago, uh, in two thousand twelve, Rutgers University and this organization called Net Impact, they produced a study called "What Workers Want." What workers want, and in it, they surveyed um, both current the current workforce, current employees, and they surveyed students that were preparing to graduate and join the workforce. And one of the huge trends, probably the biggest trend that emerged from this study, was that employees, and especially employees from younger generations, place a huge value on using their lives to make an impact. It's probably not a shock to you. People want to use their lives and their jobs to make an impact. So a couple specifics from the study. When they were asked to share about things that are very important or essential to their personal happiness, the student surveyed said, a job where they can make an impact is more important than being wealthy, having children, having a prestigious career, or being a community leader. So having a job where they can make an impact is more important than all of those things. 65% of current students don't just hope that their lives make an impact, they expect that their lives will make an impact. They expect it. And then employees of all ages, uh, if, if and when they feel like they can make a social or environmental impact through their job, they're two times as likely to be satisfied with their job and not look for another one. Two times as likely as a person who doesn't feel like they can make an impact with their job um, and, to, and to stay there. So if, if we in the room are even close to mirroring that sample, that means that there are many of us in the room who feel exactly... This way, We have both a deep desire, but even beyond that, an expectation that we're going to use our lives to make a difference in the world, to make an impact in the world. You would probably trade, many of you, more money. You'd probably trade fame or prestige. You'd probably trade a whole slew of other things if you could make an impact in the world. And if that's the case, it becomes really important how we define impact. And what it looks like to achieve that kind of impact. If we're all going to be pursuing this, it makes a a big deal. It's a big deal how we think about that, how we think about how to get there and what it is. And that's even more true if we have any desire at all to be faithful to the teachings of Jesus on the topic. And in today's text, we're in John chapter 15, Jesus talks all about fruitfulness. It's all about fruitfulness, about being the kind of person and about doing the kinds of things that do make a huge impact on the world. But not just any impact, the right kind of impact on the world. And if you ever have experienced these kinds of longings that this study revealed, and I'm sure many of you have, I think you're going to be really encouraged by what Jesus says in these words. Because the bottom line is, Jesus actually is more concerned that you be fruitful than you are. He cares more that you become fruitful in your life than you do. It's just that guaranteed that's going to come about and it's going to look different than you have, than you expect, than you plan on in your own heart and mind. So we're going to jump in. Um, John 15, I'm going to read verses 1 through 17. And you can follow along with me there in your Bibles or your device or whatever you're using uh, as I read. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Jesus, thank you that you, any longing that we experience in our own heart that's from you, you long for it more than we do. And that means that it's not going to be based on just our ability to get there, but on what you're doing in us and through us to get there. It gives us an ability to trust in you, to depend on you. I pray that from your word this morning, you would teach us to desire this kind of fruitfulness but also to have faith and to believe that you're bringing about that kind of fruitfulness in us. Meet with us, speak to us, break up the hardness of our hearts from your word as we learn this morning. We pray that in your name. Amen. As Jesus speaks here, uh, these these chapters, John 14 through 17, it's the last discourse of Jesus' earthly ministry. Um, He's sharing basically here his departing words and his departing prayers for his disciples, So there's this urgency to his teaching. There's this hunger on the part of the disciples to hear what he has to say. Jesus is preparing them to live and to deal with him not being there anymore. And specifically in this passage, in John chapter 15, he's setting them up for fruitfulness after he departs and is no longer there with them. So how do followers of Jesus become fruitful? We're going to look at this in a couple different parts. We're first going to look at fruitfulness through abiding, Then we're going to look at fruitfulness through pruning. And then I want to just kind of translate that practically as I can into a vision for what fruitfulness might look like for us as the people of of Liberty Church. So fruitfulness through abiding, fruitfulness through, through pruning, and then a vision for fruitfulness. So first, let's talk about fruitfulness through abiding. Jesus starts here by saying, I am the true vine. I'm the true vine. And if you've been with us uh, during this series where we've been studying the Gospel of John, you've heard Jesus make multiple I am statements. This is actually the last of seven that are recorded in John's Gospel. And the metaphor that Jesus picks up on here, when he says, I am the true vine, it's one that actually has uh, really significant history, deep roots in the history of the Israelite people. Uh, God... In the Old Testament, hundreds of years before this happened, before Jesus is speaking these words, he called Abraham, he identified Abraham's family as the line, and his family line of, of, as this chosen people, the people of God. And then throughout the Old Testament, those people are referred to as a vine planted by God. It's a metaphor that's used for the family line of Abraham, the Israelite people. They are a vine that has been rescued by God out of Egypt, planted by God in this new land that's meant to be their own. So when Jesus here says, I am the true vine, it's a lot more radical claim than it, than it sounds to our own ears in this day. He's saying that he is the true vine that's been planted by God, that he, and not the, this one nation state or this one family of the people of Israel, Jesus, instead, is the fulfillment of how God makes a people for himself. And at the time, like, we don't really have a comparison for that. This turned the world on its head when Jesus said said it that way. And actually, it does the same thing for us today. Because if Jesus is the true vine, then it means that it doesn't matter what family line you were born into. It doesn't matter what your heritage is. It doesn't matter for us now specifically, not these people, it doesn't matter that you were born into a Christian family. It doesn't matter that you go to a Christian school. It doesn't matter that you attend a Christian church. It doesn't matter that you do Christian things or say Christian words. What matters is, are you connected to Jesus? Are you connected to Jesus? Jesus as the true vine really is a picture of Jesus as the source. Jesus as the source of life Jesus as the source of fruitfulness. And so the path to fruitfulness begins, but doesn't just begin, is always, the path to, to fruitfulness is always by being connected to Jesus, by abiding in Jesus. He says there in verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. And branches, to just continue that, that metaphor, Branches aren't good for anything unless they're connected to a source of life, to a source of fruitfulness. Notice what Jesus is doing in this. He's making this an all-or-nothing proposition. You can't be kind of connected if you're a branch to a vine. You can't be kind of connected. So as Jesus says, when people are connected to him, they become fruitful. They have that source of life. They have that source of fruitfulness. Or... They're not connected, and apart from him, they do nothing. See how stark the contrast is? Be connected to me and bear much fruit. Don't be connected to me. Do nothing. What happens to branches that aren't connected to a source of life and fruitfulness? They wither up. They dry out. They die. And they're good for nothing at that point other than kindling for a fire. So what does it mean to abide in Jesus? What's it mean to abide in Jesus? It's what I would call an active dependence. An active dependence. And here's what I mean by that. We are always dependent people. Like whether you want to to choose to be dependent on Jesus or not, on God or not, the fact that we are created and sustained by God means that we are dependent whether we want to be or not. We're dependent beings, dependent creatures. Active dependence, though, is recognizing that and it's, not just recognizing that, but leaning into that. Living our lives in a way that's consistent with the fact that we are dependent. It's seeing our need to depend on Jesus. It's asking Jesus to sustain us. And as we think about what it means to abide, that, that absolutely includes believing some true things about who Jesus is. You know, most specifically, that he is one who, through his death and resurrection, has the ability and power to rescue us out of our sin, out of our rebellion against God, out of the death that results from that. But it's so much more than just believing some true things about Jesus. To abide in Jesus is to remain in Jesus, to root yourself in Him, to cling to Him in an ongoing, actively dependent kind of way. So what does that actually look like in practice? sounds like a good thing. We should be actively dependent. We should be abiding in Jesus Jesus mentions, it's not an exhaustive list, but he mentions a really important way that we do that, and it's obedience. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide. And Jesus specifically singles out this one command, to love one another in the same way that he has loved us. This is his command, that you love one another in the same way that I have loved you, which is this sacrificial to the point of death kind of love for for other people. I know a lot of you have been around church, in church for a long time. I'm going to ask you not to write this off quickly. And here's what I mean by that. When we consider the whole message of what Scripture teaches, when we look at that, it's cons- the consistent teaching of Scripture that we are rescued by Jesus completely and solely because of His work, not because of ours. We actually see that here in this text, which we're going to get to in a little bit. But there's this deceptive and subtle danger that can creep in when we believe that. And that is that we can start to see things like obedience as functionally unimportant. Like if it's about Jesus' work and not about my obedience, which is true, then maybe my obedience isn't important at all. But that's not true. Uh, Obedience is vital. It's actually how we abide. It's actually how we lean into our dependence on Jesus. And as Jesus narrows it to this one specific commandment of loving one another, so should we this morning. And that's the question for us. Are we loving one another in the way that Jesus has loved us? Are we loving one another in the way that Jesus has loved us? Are we genuinely pursuing that? Because clearly we won't be all the time, if ever, doing it the way Jesus actually loved us. But are we genuinely pursuing that? Or who are you already aware of in your mind that you know you are not loving well? As simple or familiar as this might sound to you, you're like, hey, great, I came to church this morning, I got to hear that I'm supposed to love people. Shocker, didn't know that. No, as simple or familiar as this might be to you, we never graduate past this as Christians. We never graduate past that. And if you long for your life to make an impact, it's impossible to do an end around genuinely loving people. It's an integral part of the path. So this is the, the cumulative teaching of the passages that we just read. Love is how we obey. Obeying is how we abide. And abiding is how we become fruitful. So we should never kid ourselves into thinking that we can make the kind of impact that we long to make, that Jesus longs for us to make, if we don't genuinely, deeply, sincerely love one another. The other part of the path to fruitfulness, as Jesus talks about abiding, is pruning. So that's the second thing we're going to talk about this morning. We abide through, um, or we, we are fruitful through abiding, and secondly, we're fruitful through pruning. Jesus so desires that his people be fruitful that he prunes the branches connected to him to make them even more fruitful. And we love that idea. Like, have you ever read John 15 about Jesus pruning and gone, man, that's great. I'm glad Jesus does that. We love that idea until we actually experience what pruning is like. We hate it in practice. What is pruning? It's being cut in certain places. It's having the ugly and rebellious parts of you chopped off. It's like surgery for the soul, except that you get to be awake for the procedure. You don't get to tap out with some anesthesia, wake up when it's over, and it's all better. Like, wouldn't it be great if God pruned us while we were sleeping and not aware of the process? It doesn't work that way. And this is something that I've learned, and I hope it's as helpful to you as it's been for me. By the very nature of what pruning is, you will hate being pruned. You will hate being pruned. So you got to get rid of whatever romantic notions you have about what this is going to look like in your life. When we know the specific ways we need to change, when we pursue that change, that's not pruning, that's called growth. Pruning is the change that we don't even know that we need. It's the cutting out of the stuff that shouldn't be there. And we call them blind spots because we can't see them. In the grand scheme of things, actually we need that kind of change more than any other kind of change more than the the kind of change where we're already aware that we need to grow and we're already pursuing growth in that area. But that means that when you're pruned, it will never happen the way that you would design it. Because if you don't know what you need, then you can't set up a plan for how that's going to happen. So guaranteed, pruning will come through circumstances you never would have picked. It will come through people you never would have picked. It will come through means that you never would have picked. And it will feel like parts of your body are being cut out while you're still awake because that's exactly what pruning is. I feel like I've learned this lesson really well in the past three and a half years because when I stepped into a role of being a pastor and planting a church, God began pruning me on hyperdrive. Like, forget the romantic notion of Mr. Miyagi trimming the bonsai bush This was like the Edward Scissorhands, like, hurry up and let's get going in the process, okay? There's a lot that I love about being a pastor. There's a lot that I love about planting a church. I hate being pruned at that speed. I hate it. I do not like it in my heart of hearts. I don't like it. Some of you know this about me, Uh, in case you don't. um, I trust my own ability and my work ethic more than I should. I'm prone to care too much about what other people think. And you know how God prunes you when you're like that? He makes your hard work come up woefully short. Woefully short. And He makes you lose the esteem and the approval of people that you so crave. And if you're wired with sins like mine, if you're prone to sin in that way, that can feel like you're dying. It can feel like you're dying can feel like you're being cut off completely. But here's what Jesus is teaching here. You're not. You're not being cut off completely. Actually, this is my hope. This is our hope in what Jesus says here. You're not being cut off when that happens. Actually, you're being pruned. Author named Wayne Cordero says it like this, and I love this. He says this, Sometimes you don't realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all that you've got. And in order to bring you to that realization, Jesus will cut everything else out, especially things you've learned to depend on and trust so that you will return to him. In other words, what he's saying there, pruning is actually how Jesus keeps you abiding. These aren't separate things. Pruning is actually how he keeps you abiding. He cuts everything else out. He prunes the other stuff until you learn not to depend on that anymore, and instead you learn to continue to abide in him, to be actively dependent in Him, And if we can actually find moments of clear perspective in the pruning process, we'll realize that the surgery isn't our death. Surgery is actually how you keep on living. The cutting out of these sinful aspects of your life that feel so much like death is actually the very evidence that you're still alive. And so much more dangerous than a life that doesn't experience this That is what's so much more dangerous. It's so much more dangerous if you don't experience pruning in your life. That kind of life is a lot more comfortable. That kind of life is a lot easier. In Psalm 73, the psalmist says, I envy people like that. Why is their life so prosperous? Why is their life so good? Why don't they have troubles like mine? And then as he prays and he cries his heart out to God, he understands. He says, then I discern their end. I see where this story's going. I see where this actually leads. What does he mean? Well, to connect it back to this metaphor of John 15, nobody prunes a dead branch. Nobody prunes a dead branch. And nobody does surgery to fix a dead body. Pruning is evidence that you are connected to Jesus. It's evidence that he is doing that unbelievably painful yet necessary work of cutting out all that would hinder you from abiding for the long haul. So, though I hate the pruning, when my eyes are actually clear enough to see, I'm completely confident that it is a demonstration of God's love for me. And not just God's love for me, God's love for the people that I come across, God's love for you, church. This makes me completely confident of God's love for you. That God loves me so much that He won't leave me unpruned for my sake, for my family's sake, for your sake. And the same thing is absolutely true for each one of you. God loves you too much to leave you unpruned. And he loves your spouse that much to, leave you, to not leave you unpruned. And he loves your kids that much not to leave you unpruned. And he loves this world that much not to leave you unpruned. Gosh, I hate it, but it's so right and good and necessary. And as odd as it might sound, we have to be encouraged. We don't have to be. We should be. We should be encouraged by the pruning. As much as we would never choose the way it comes or the people God uses to bring it, it is evidence of the truly good and essential work of God preparing you to remain in him to bear much fruit. So we're fruitful through abiding. We're fruitful through pruning. What does that look like? What might that look like? Here's a vision for what I hope this looks like with us at Liberty Church. How do we line up our definition of fruitfulness to what Jesus is talking about here? Uh, Well, when the Bible speaks about fruitfulness, there's really an internal and an external component to that. Uh, The Apostle Paul speaks a lot about the internal side of fruitfulness on something called the fruit of the Spirit. He writes about it in this letter to the Galatians. And he says there's these internal characteristics that the Spirit of God produces in the people of God. Love is one of them. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the internal. There's also the external, and it seems like that's what Jesus is talking more about here. Um, External fruitfulness is our work, the impact that it has. It's what we do with our mouths, it's what we do with our hands, it's what we do with our lives. And when it comes to making a genuine impact in the world, when it comes to making a difference. I would submit this to you for your consideration this morning that nothing is equipped to do that. Nothing is equipped to make a difference in the world like the Church of Jesus Christ. Nothing is set up better to do that effectively than the Church of Jesus Christ. I don't know what your background is. Some of you I do, I suppose. I don't know what your background is or your experiences with the church, different expressions, different local churches, I don't know what your current opinions or perceptions of the local church are, how encouraged you are about it or disillusioned you are about it in this very moment. I grew up in church my whole life, but I'll tell you, nothing captured my astonishment about what the church is and meant to be in those first you know twenty some odd years of being in the church. It took actually wrestling with what is this thing that Jesus established? What is it for? What are we here for? What are we doing? See, the church isn't just times of gathered worship, although those are crucial. Uh, the church isn't just some classes or some small groups or some programs that are help, that are there to, to equip and teach and encourage people, although those are vitally important. Fundamentally, the church is people who have been transformed by Jesus and then sent by Jesus to transform every facet and aspect of society and the world around them in light of that. And if we actually wrestle with that and what that is, that changes everything. It changes how we work. It changes how we play. It changes how we look at people. It changes our priorities. It changes our passions. It changes our motivations for even wanting to make an impact in the first place. You want to see a difference made in the world? You want to see a sustainable and holistic answer to leverage the good things that are part of God's creation and to combat the evils and the injustices that corrupt it? You want to see a sustainable and holistic answer to that? There's nothing like the church that has been established and sent and is kept by Jesus. And that is why we believe in the worth of the church. Not just this one, but the church. That is why we believe in the worth of planting more churches. So if you're only here this morning, I don't know where all of you are at this morning, if you're only here because you think that you're supposed to be, let me submit to you that there is an infinitely more compelling reason. Infinitely more. Because you know, deep in the fabric of your own soul, that you long to use your life for something that matters. For something that actually makes an impact. And if the church is truly people transformed by Jesus, in light of that being used by God to transform everything else then we need never settle for a boring and tired and lackluster understanding of who we are and what we're doing here. Always got something better than that to run after. And I so desperately um, long for the grace and the truth and the love of Jesus to be known and to be tasted, experienced, to be multiplied here in the Harrisburg region in central Pennsylvania beyond that. I desperately long for the gospel of Jesus to bring, to bring transformation and renewal both to people who are not Christians right now and people who are. I hope that people meet Jesus, that people are cared for and that they grow as Jesus' disciples, that more churches, that more outposts of the kingdom of God that pursue this are planted and exist. And we are not, by any stretch of the imagination, God's answer to that, for the Harrisburg region. But I pray that we are part of it. I desperately pray that we are part of it. So how does that happen? Well, it doesn't happen because we're part of the right networks, or because we have the right lingo, because we put the right values on our website. That's great. It doesn't happen. It happens, let me bring this all together, it happens when we as individuals and as a community abide in Jesus and are pruned by Jesus. It happens when you and I are connected to Jesus, the true vine. If fruitfulness for Jesus' followers comes through abiding and pruning, that means there's no shortcut. There's no shortcut other than that each and every one of us abide in Jesus and undergo the painful but, but beautifully restorative pruning process that Jesus puts us in. We will never plan or strategize an alternate route for the kind of impact that we long for in this region and beyond because there is no alternate route. So we'll never have one. It's that. It's abiding and it's being pruned. So let me close with a truth from this passage that has been such a gift of God to me and I pray that it is for you even in my most tired and worn out and disillusioned and discouraged moments. And it's this. Fruitfulness is inevitable. It is guaranteed. If you are connected to Jesus, you will be fruitful. And he says as much in verse 16. He has, we didn't choose this. We didn't sign up for this. He's chosen and appointed us. And the reason for our confidence is all over this text. He's already made you clean. He's already made you clean. Uh, He's already been at work pruning you. He's called you not servant, but friend. Servants don't get to know the plan. We do. We get to know the plan. Jesus pulls back the curtain to show us where all of this is going, the trajectory of human history, which culminates in this triumphant return of Jesus to complete reconciling the world to himself. That's where it's going. That's where it's going. So fruitfulness is inevitable for those who abide which means that we can stop anxiously fretting about how much impact we are or are not making in a given moment. Jesus will make you fruitful. God will be glorified in it, and your joy will be full because of it, Jesus says. Guaranteed, it will look different, and it will come about differently than you plan, than you expect, but come it will. So men and women... May we abide in Jesus. There is no shortcut. May we be pruned by Jesus and see it as his love for us and for the people that we do life with and the people that he sends us to. And as we do that, together as a church, may our transformed lives be used by God to transform every aspect of the world which he loves and has sent us into. Let me pray for us. Your goodness to us, Jesus, is beyond comparison, and it's beyond what we can even perceive in given moments. Jesus, I pray for those in this room who feel like they're being cut off right now. And I pray that they would see it as your pruning work in their life. I pray that you would give them a hope and an encouragement from the reality that the pruning is actually evidence that they're alive that they're connected to you, the vine. And I pray you would keep us in you, that we would obey and abide in you. Jesus, that we would never pretend that we will use our life for anything worthwhile unless we are connected to you and the life and the fruitfulness that comes from being connected to you. Would you use us? We, we long to use our lives well, Jesus. Most of us in this room would say yes to that right now. We long to use our lives Use us, we pray, but help us to see the way in which you've shaped the process to making that kind of difference and impact in the world. It's this. It's this. And as we come to your table, we remember, Jesus, that you call us friends, that you've made us clean, that you keep us abiding in you, that you choose and appoint us for fruitfulness, all because you were willing to pay the penalty for our sin. You were willing to be the one who was faithful when you knew we would not be. And so as we come, may we be strengthened. We need the life-giving strength from your spirit constantly to live this out. We need to be connected to you in a life-giving way. And I pray that even as we come to the table, your spirit would work in us to renew that life in us that comes from you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.